welcome back to Recovering Church Girls. I'm your host, Tanya Adleta, and I have with me a very dear friend today, Lisa Wade Berry. Hi, Lisa. Hello, Tanya. I'm so excited to be here. Oh my goodness. I feel like we've been having this conversation in bits and spurts throughout the last probably like year or so. Actually, wait a minute. We haven't even known each other for a year. No, it hasn't been that long at all. See, I love those kinds of friendships where it's like, oh no, wait, like we go way, way, way back. Uh, Yeah. By about like four months. Yeah. (laughs) Now that I think about it. Definitely feels a lot longer in in the best possible way. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for specifying. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, exactly that. Um, So there's, again, there's so many reasons why I'm excited about this conversation, but just to let everybody know, one of the reasons why is that you're the author of Real Big Love, and I've so enjoyed getting a sneak peek into this, and now it is live and out there in the world. And also, I think the idea of, you know, when we first met, we had this connection about Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. and unless you have spent a considerable of amount of time in the state of Oklahoma, you don't necessarily understand what that means. So we (laughs) met at a retreat by another dear friend of ours uh, that was more about, you know, spirituality and feminine energy and and divine energy and, you know, admittedly, like totally on the woo-woo side of the spectrum. And here are two girls, you know, in essence from Oklahoma. And so, yeah, the irony was not lost, that's for sure. (laughs) And the fact that often we have to go elsewhere, even to other countries, you know, to right. meet up with other people that might have similar thoughts and, and beliefs. Exactly, exactly. So with that being said, is kind of, you know, this little sneak peek into how we met and where the conversation likely will go just because, you know, we're who we are. Mm-hmm. When we talk about recovering church girls, what does that bring up for you? What is that what is that kind of like set off in your own experience thinking about your childhood, thinking about your adult life, thinking about your own family? Where does that take you? You know, it's interesting because unlike perhaps uh, a lot of other people, my family was not a church-going family necessarily. I was the one that felt that there was something out there that I wanted to know more about. And so I went in search of the spiritual, I guess. And um, what I found is that what I often feel like I'm recovering from is more the cultural implications, especially where I'm based here, about what being spiritual or you know, a member of of a community means. And so, you know, part of my effort has been to grow beyond what felt like really um, constricting and almost suffocating bounds of of Mm -hmm. what it means to be someone who actually appreciates God. And so, you know, I remember at one point when my mom she was diagnosed with breast cancer and went through, you know, the, the radiation and the whole process with breast cancer. And one day we were talking about regrets. And she said, you know, I really only have two regrets in life. One is that I never learned how to swing dance. <laughs> okay, <laughs> there's still time, you know. She said, and my other regret is that I didn't raise you kids in the church. And, you know, I thought that was interesting. And I told her immediately, I said, please don't let that be a regret. Had, had you done that, I might not be the person that I am today on my own mm. spiritual journey. And I like my journey. So yeah. please don't have regrets about that. But even as a kid, you know, eight years old, I, I remember having these thoughts about, for me, just knowing reincarnation was a thing. 
you know, feeling even at eight years old that we picked our parents, our souls picked our parents before we came into our bodies, you know, things like that, that didn't fit neatly in any box. And I remember going church shopping, you know, in Oklahoma, <laughs> all my friends went to church. So, you know, I had a, had a wide variety to choose from. And I remember I came home one day and told my mom, okay, I want to be Catholic because I'd just gone to the Catholic church with a friend and I loved the ceremony and the music and, you know, just, just all that went along with, um, with how church was expressed. But then as I got to learn more, there was this whole confession thing I was like, now, wait a minute. If I want to talk to God, I just talk to God. I don't need mm. some middleman doing my talking <laughs> for me. I don't, I don't get that, right? Right. So it was just really this, um, this journey of searching, but never finding what fit. Mm. I would go with my grandparents to church. They lived in a tiny, tiny rural town in Missouri, and their Southern Baptist church, I would leave feeling guilty of sins I've never heard of, much less committed, you know. <laughs> Very much a hellfire and brimstone kind of mm -hmm. kind of environment. And then I went to a Southern Baptist college of all things on a debate scholarship. So I was going for debate, didn't realize other people actually went for God. <laughs> you know, that, that's a thing, apparently. And um, and that's really where I had a crisis of faith. I, mm -hmm. I and that's all I know how to describe it. Um, if anything, being in that environment by the time I was done, made me go, wow, this Christianity thing, I don't want anything to do with it. If, mm. if people are going to use their religion and the Bible as a way to be hateful and ugly to other people, I'm out. I don't know. And it took me a while to realize that there's a difference, mm. that there's a difference. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. So if that's just your intro, boy, this is going to be fun. <laughs> um, Okay, so before we get into the college piece, because I have a feeling there's a there's a lot more there in terms mm -hmm. of that experience, so I'd love to dig into that. But I also want to circle back to this idea of, you know, I just obviously I cracked up over the idea that you were afraid of sins that you'd never even heard of. Talk to me a little bit about that. How old were you at that point, and what was your experience with fear, and specifically fear-based thinking and teaching as a way of control, because I think that's mm. that one specific piece has become something that has impacted every single one of us at some stage in the game. Sometimes we have the awareness to call it what it is, mm -hmm. and sometimes we don't. And I'm really curious what that was like for you as it was happening. And then at what point in time did you get that sense of, oh, wait, this isn't the way this is supposed to go? Yeah. Um, you know, I really don't remember specifics about message at the time because honestly, I was I was young, probably between the ages of eight and eleven when I would go, and and it was more feeling that I felt this. I'm pretty energetically sensitive, and so even at a, as a as a young kid, this feeling almost of oppression, mm. just this dense heaviness. Um, there was lots of yelling and literal Bible thumping, you know, and, <laughs> and lots of talk of, of, of burning in hell for eternity, unless X, mm. Y, and Z. And I remember at the time too, it was interesting because my grandparents, my grandmother's mother. So my great grandmother lived next door and my grandparents would hide their little Coors lights in the crisper, <laughs> in the very back of the refrigerator because they didn't want her to know that they had them because she was she was very churchy and they were afraid that that would bring judgment. Well, it was fascinating because 
my great grandmother had her bottle of bourbon, you know, underneath the, the kitchen sink that was, well, for when she had, you know, a sore throat, she, she just needed that. So it was just interesting to see, a, I, I don't want to say hypocrisy necessarily, but, you know, to see things that were preached against in the church, you know, drinking, things like that. And then um, to see it hidden so neatly right. in real life. <laughs> And really the idea that, you know, both sides, if you will, because there was, there was a bit of an us versus them, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of in this experience and and then both sides were uh, engaging equally. That is, that's really (laughs) kind of amusing. I think when we can take a step back and look at it, Mm -hmm. I remember moving from Oklahoma uh, to Philadelphia or to, you know, the suburbs in Philly. And I remember the first time going to a church event that had wine involved. And Mm -hmm. I was shocked. I mean, coming from the buckle of the Bible belt in Tulsa, Uh you know, and and actually it was around this time of year, I think it must have been because we were talking about Halloween stuff. And I am very high on my, I've just left Tulsa, the Mecca of the Christianity world, Mm -hmm. you know, high on my horse. And Halloween is evil. It is Satan's holiday. Why would we possibly (laughs) participate And, you know, the other moms in the preschool group were talking about, like, you know, what their kids are going to dress up as or, you know, who's bringing what to the potluck. And and I'm just sitting here and I'm like, what, where have we gone? What, what has happened to like, I, I knew I was just, I was flabbergasted. And that was, I think, probably one of the first times I'm like, oh, wait, oh, wait, maybe the way that life is in Tulsa isn't really the way life is everywhere else. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Bless your heart and I'll pray for you. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. We and I think so many people now identify when we say, oh, bless your heart. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's become a thing in Southern culture right. that if you're there, if you're the one happening to say it or dropping the y'alls that go along with it, <laughs> then you know the nuance subtext is... I completely disagree with everything that you're saying or, you know, whatever. Like there's always drama in that idea. Um, I think that that's now become a a colloquialism that everyone's comfortable with and and familiar Mm -hmm. with. But just in case, when we say, oh, bless your heart, that's not quite what we mean. It's a veil for judgment. Yes. (laughs) Veil for judgment. Yeah. And isn't there so many different things that become a veil for judgment Mm-hmm. And these little, you know, again, the hidden subtext, it's, it's right. not just what we were told explicitly. It's also what was expected of us implicitly mm-hmm. that I think so many of us are now starting to unravel, you know, right. kind of in that idea of what do I really believe and how did I get here? And especially those of us who are parents, mm-hmm. when we are having to make decisions about how we're raising our own kids, that's, I think, another piece of this, you know, big, huge puzzle that all comes into play. That has been such a huge piece for me. Yeah, especially Um, when my daughter was born, it was like, I I didn't really, I had been spiritually curious early, kind of shut down after college, tried to open back up again and did for a minute. And then I moved to um, Washington, DC and lived there for about 12 years. And talk about another different, very different cultural, (laughs) you know, center of the world. Yeah. Yeah. So that was an area where I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to my own spirituality during, during that time. I was way more focused on career and graduate school and, you know, doing all the things and checking all the boxes. And then, um, 
my future husband decided he wanted a church wedding and he was raised in uh, an Episcopal church. And I was like, okay, I can do this. The Episcopal church, when, when I went through my church shopping phase in middle school and high school, it was actually the, it, the Episcopal church where I landed, um, mainly because my French teacher was a deacon in the church. And I loved that a woman had a, had a position of leadership. Mm. That was not something we saw a whole lot of, you know, in the late eighties, early nineties. And so that's what kind of drew me to the Episcopal church originally, um, the Episcopal church that we ended up going to in, in Virginia was really, really conservative, which surprised me because the one in Oklahoma had been pretty darn progressive. And it's kind of surprising. Yeah. Yeah. And, and kind of beautiful, you know? And, and so here's this church that that's pretty conservative, but I had to go through the whole, you know, education and then baptism process before that I could actually be married in an Episcopal church later. And so that kind of re-engaged me with mm. church life for right then. The minute that was done, I, <laughs> I didn't go back, <laughs> but re-engaged me. But then when my daughter was born um, later, it was like this huge spiritual energy just came into the home and all of this stuff just started opening up. And I, I started feeling so much more connected to to spirit, to wanting to have conversations with with you know, with the divine, um, to ideas like energy and angels and, and things like that. I mean, it just opened up this, this big world that was a path that I didn't even really know existed before that. And so that was, that was kind of fascinating. Um, one of the things on the parental side that I've, that I've experienced though, from that, she, she's a pretty intuitive kid and comes up with some pretty fascinating um, observations. We'll just put it that way. I think I mentioned to you at one point we were sitting in church. She was maybe two, three years old, probably three. She's sitting on my lap. She turns around. She grabs me by the face, looks directly into my eyes and says, mommy, you know, the church is Goliath. And I was like, whoa, whoa, what? And she said it again, so matter of factly, and just so this is, this is truth. And I was like, what? Not something that I'd shared with her. Not, mm-hmm. I mean, that was not, I was like, whoa. Um, oh, okay. And um, by the way, I have chills running my entire body right now. And mm-hmm. there are times when I will get a physical response for things. Um, yeah. Uh, and it happened the first time you told me the story too, but like, even now I'm feeling Whoa. Whoa. There's there's a there's some responsibility yeah. in that knowledge. And wow, does that feel big? Yeah. Well, at the time that was it was after we had moved back to Oklahoma and quite frankly I didn't know people in the town that we moved to and um church was a pretty good way to get to know folks. And so mm-hmm. we started attending um the Episcopal church here in town and um you know, that's where she said that wasn't about that church. It was just church in general. But I remember as we would stand and recite different things in church, I was kind of a rebel. (laughs) We had to say the Nicene Creed out loud. And I would just change all the words to actually fit what I believed, you know, because I just didn't, the whole Council of Nicaea business, I, I think things went, in my opinion, pretty awry, pretty, pretty, you know, there was an interesting turn there, um, that I don't think has been so helpful. 
Mm. And so I would make up my own words. And some of the women in the congregation near me would look at me in recognition and know what I was doing. And I could, I love I could it. sense their, you know, their quiet support. And others looked at me like, oh, that poor child. She just mm. doesn't even know the words, bless her heart. <laughs> <laughs> You know, my other big, uh, you know, rebel thing, we were encouraged to do altar flowers. And so <laughs> the day I would send altar flowers was the the Sunday nearest uh, Mary Magdalene's feast day and would make sure to honor Mary Magdalene in the process. And yeah, I'm sure they probably just thought I was a big heathen. I love that balance though, because it's kind of like, okay, this is what we're choosing as a family. And I see the things that I don't align with. And so I'm not going to put myself in a place of compromise. I, mm-hmm. I feel like there's so much power in that. And there's a certain amount of, you know, yeah, sure. There's, there's a little rebellious spirit, which I can totally identify with and I love, <laughs> but then on top of that, I feel like there's also, there's a, an integrity there that I can very much respect and appreciate. And I'm not familiar with the creed that you mentioned. I would love for mm-hmm. you to unpack that, explain what, uh. what that was or, or what that is, um, if you don't mind. And also, I don't want to forget about circling back to your college experience, too. Mm. So kind of uh, set the direction for us here. So what yeah. what was the name of the creed that you mentioned? The, the Nicene Creed, and it came out of, of the Council of Nicaea. And um, honestly, I'm... We I can tell just by looking at you, like, this is definitely, you know, whatever this is, it's got you flustered. Well, it was just all these we believe things. And, and what, as a group, was expected for us to believe, um, you know, all the way virgin birth, you know, just all the stuff. And I honestly don't remember all the words. I think I've blocked them. Um, but it, just every time it just hit me, it hit me odd. And mm. so I was like, if I'm going to say things out loud, I'm not going to say things that don't, that don't resonate. And so my choice was to either be quiet, which <laughs> that's not really my first preference, or <laughs> to make it work for me. And so I made it work for me. But um, the other thing I think along those lines, I taught Sunday school for like a minute and a half. And you know, it was like the high school kids, which was really fun. But in my mind, it's not just the grownups who get to pray, right? Mm. And so I would encourage, let's all go around and do our own prayer thing. But when I would lead prayer, it was always, you know, dearest mother, father, God. And it was the first time the kids in the room had ever considered a feminine aspect to the divine Mm. or actually hearing source, spirit, whatever, God being, being thought of in any other way than purely masculine. Yeah. Okay, me, let's let's dive deeper into that because yeah. that definitely hits a trigger for me also. Yeah. It was always Father God, always, mm-hmm. always, always. And it wasn't until, what, maybe f- 10 years ago mm-hmm. that I ever heard the idea of a feminine divine. Mm-hmm. And growing up in the way that I did, it was very fundamental, very conservative. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, it was non-denominational. So I thought that meant that we were like really liberal. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> I was like, so, so incredibly wrong. But, Mm -hmm. you know, again, it was this idea of, well, wait a second, that's not what I've been told for the last 30 years of my life. What do I do with this new piece of information? And I just sat with it and just kind of tested it out. Mm -hmm. But I remember even going through high school and, you know, studying about the, excuse me, the goddesses. Mm -hmm. And it was just this idea of, 
well, that was a sinful time in history. Therefore, that was evil. Like everything that was associated with the idea of any sort of divinity tied to the feminine was locked in Pandora's box. And it was all, this is new age. This is evil. Don't touch this. Don't experience this. Kind of like yoga. Don't practice yoga because the next thing you know, you might become a Buddhist monk. Like, you yep. know what I mean? Like it just, it is that whole idea of the slippery slope, avoid any appearance of evil. Boy, that was a verse that was used all mm -hmm. the time in my world yeah. avoid any appearance of evil oh I, yeah that triggered me i just realized how much more <laughs> i've got to say about that so <laughs> uh, but, but yeah. to your idea of like being in a position to mm -hmm. have this conversation with the teenagers i love this um because i i had the same you know i was in youth ministry and in mm -hmm. children's ministry for a very long time but to be able to open the perspective and open the conversation to embrace something in addition to what mm -hmm. has been laid out as the foundation, and again, in that very conforming way, this right. is what we believe. And by having you, by requiring you as community to stand and state together uniformly, this is what we believe. Again, it drives that conformity piece even further. So right. how beautiful that you were able to, you know, kind of subtly open a crack in that conversation. How did that go as far as like the words that we use? Because yeah. I even still get hung up on that sometime. Mm -hmm. The idea of mother, father, God. What does that mean? And we talk mm -hmm. about divine. We talk about source. We talk about universe. Mm -hmm. You know, now I see such a connection and I see that they're really all the same thing. And yeah. there's different presentations for different people to be able to find their way in. That is yeah. my personal philosophy. I'm not saying that it's I... right or wrong. That's yep. just where I'm at right now. Absolutely. And I think we all come from, from different places. You know, I came, my, my background, my parents split the first time when I was in kindergarten, I think, and divorced when I was eight. So I was raised by a very strong um, female presence. And my dad at the time wasn't exactly a role model, you know? <laughs> and so I had some daddy issues and this whole vision of God being, you know, like Dumbledore or Gandalf with a big staff and a long <laughs> beard really didn't work for me. I mean, that, that created more separation. Mm. And if, when you couple that with kind of the old Testament God and what I had heard from the hellfire and brimstone and the Southern Baptist churches with my grandparents, I wanted to run from that. That was not comforting to me at all. So for me to be able to like, become more confident in walking toward spirituality, I think I had to have some kind of feminine presence as part of the conversation. Mm. So it kind of started with, I just decided for myself, <laughs> the Holy Spirit is, is feminine that, you know, because in the Episcopal mm. church, it's, you know, um, the Trinity and I needed a female presence in there somewhere. Now I can see, you know, all of it is, is a marriage of divine masculine and divine feminine in, in everything and all of us, but I had to have my own entry point. And I think in that situation with, you know, the minute and a half teaching Sunday school, it was, and I really thought the parents would come after me, you know, by planting a little tiny seed, just another <laughs> father, God, but it was fascinating because the kids loved it. And especially the the girls in the group, it was like this opened a whole new a whole new door of opportunity mm -hmm. in terms of how to see a relationship with the divine, and you know, in their words, felt nurturing. Yeah. And 
more empowering. And so that it, it was just, it was kind of a fascinating, a fascinating time. Of course, I was also of the mind that the priest at the time was, was really, um, really open. And so I remember being confused, you know, by things on occasion, and I would go, you know, have conversations with them, things like reincarnation. And his thought on that, he said, you know, it's not part of my theology, but if it helps you feel closer to God, I'm all for it. Mm. And I thought, how cool is that? Yeah. You know, how cool is that? And on Wednesday, oh my gosh, I love that response. Yeah, yeah perfect response because it didn't shut me down. Mm -hmm. It didn't deny his own theology where he was coming from, but it encouraged a relationship. And I, yeah. I thought that was super cool. And really, um, isn't that supposed to be the idea of religion? Yeah. Is yeah. that it's it's not supposed to be about the religion. It's supposed to be about the relationship that we as individuals have with God, with spirit, with right. source. And then, you know, kind of as an extension of that with each other, again, recognizing the divine within each of ourselves. So right. there's something so beautiful about that. And boy, religion really effed it up. <laughs> in my not so subtle opinion. Yeah. 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 Well, and the idea, you know, that, that particular church would have Wednesday healing services. And it was also a church that had communion with real wine, every single service. And I loved commun communion, which is, I didn't know that I would like that. I was a little surprised, but there was something about the common cup. My family thought that was so weird who had never, you know, been <laughs> in an Episcopal church. You're drinking after people, you'll get germs, you know, I mean, that whole thing. <laughs> But real wine and communion every service, but on Wednesdays was a healing service. And I mentioned to the priest at one time, I was like, you know, we have to single ourselves out for healing. I mm. said, what if we all need healing? What if there's an opportunity for every single one of us to need healed in some way? And what if just because the rest of us don't have this little white collar that we're wearing that indicates that we are a person of God, what if we could be instrumental in holding that space for divine healing too. Mm. And he was open to that, which was, you know, there have been experiences where open minds and open hearts and going, let's try it. Yeah. And that was really powerful to have these group, you know, um, these group opportunities to mm -hmm. just, to support one another and, and stand there um, as a part of a healing process. And yeah. that was, that was really kind of beautiful. I love yeah. that. That's something that I've been thinking about recently in the charismatic side of my upbringing, which was pretty substantial. Uh, I would say the, the bulk of my life was charismatic evangelical church. Mm -hmm. uh, again, plenty of things that I can, can point at as saying that was harming. And here's mm -hmm. how that has in fact, er, wow, I almost said infected accidentally. Um, I meant to say affected or affected, I guess would actually be correct, but maybe, maybe I was right the first time. Um, anyway, you know, there's, there's so much that I can also look at and say, I still believe this piece or this application of this piece. Mm -hmm. And I, it was really easy to, uh, you know, kind of sweep the whole thing under the rug or, you know, the proverbial throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's a very easy thing to do for people right. when they realize that they've been duped in some way, shape or form, or they've been physically or spiritually or emotionally abused by way of religion. It's very easy to mm -hmm. just shut the door completely so yep. I think the, the tricky thing then becomes holding space for the good 
and holding space for the miraculous and the spiritual and yet at the same time holding accountable the places where wrong has been done and i'm finding that a very interesting balance yeah and that that was so much the path i had to walk and figure out how to walk after college because so, boy, was I ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, so let's talk about that because yeah. I, I know just a teensy bit of the story mm-hmm. and it's something I definitely want to share with our, our listeners. Mm-hmm. What happened? I mean, Krista, first of all, the idea of going on a debate scholarship to a Southern Baptist college really cracks <laughs> me up in and of itself. Like just yeah. there, yeah. there's so much irony to dive into. But but what was your like practical experience? What happened? Yeah. Well, I think what got me, the town I grew up in, in Oklahoma, I think to say it was not a diverse town would be a, an amazing understatement. I'm sure. um, I never had the opportunity to to go to school with a person of color. Never had never met anyone who was of, of Jewish faith. So when I get to college, my um, my first roommate and then another person who ended up being my my best friend in college uh, were both Jewish, and they were like the the two Jewish people on the Southern Baptist campus. And I have never seen discrimination in my life, mm. like toward them um, by it, in the name of Christianity. Wow. And I was just like, whoa, really? Um, but I think what really got me was um, at the time, this was, you know, early 90s, the AIDS epidemic was, you know, it's still getting a lot of attention in the media. And I was in a, a journalism class. And the conversation in journalism class, you know, started revolving around the AIDS epidemic. And there were so many people who truly believed and would share the phrase, well, you know, that's God's punishment on gay people. Mm -hmm. And, oh, it just hit me in my heart. And at the time, my uncle, who happened to be gay, was dying of complications of AIDS in a hospital 20 miles away. And I think that was kind of the final straw for me, just going, wait, wait a minute. Mm. You know, I, I just didn't understand how people who claim to follow someone that in my mind was communicating messages of love could have so much hate and judgment for other people based on who they loved. I, I just, I could not make that mental connection. I just couldn't. Yeah. And, um, so I was like, forget it. I'm so done. Mm. <laughs> and then I, I left college and went back to um, Oklahoma. And I decided to give the Episcopal Church one more try. And it was so funny because the first two sermons, the very first one was about um, depictions and understanding of women in the Bible. And I'm like, oh, here we go. And then the second <laughs> one was relations with our Jewish friends. <laughs> Wow. And again, I thought, you know, oh, okay. And so interestingly, in both of those sermons, they couldn't have spoken to me where I was, what I needed to hear in a positive, uplifting way any better if mm. I had written them myself. I mean, it was just exactly all based on love, unity, acceptance, open arms, empowering everyone, which to me was the whole message in the first place, in the first place right? right. That, that just so got lost. And yeah. what I really found is that I've been a, you know, I've, I've been a fan of the big JC for a long time, <laughs> you know, but I, I, I had to, I had 
put him out with the bathwater too. You know, mm-hmm. he, he was the baby I was putting out with the bathwater because of <laughs> how I was perceiving him through the eyes of other people mm. who weren't being led by love. And so yeah. it really took a non-church approach for me, you know, experiencing spirituality through a bunch of different avenues for me to find my way back to go and, wow, you're cool. And I really want to have a relationship with you you know, in, in terms of, of Jesus, but then also Buddha and Krishna and a whole bunch of gods and goddesses you know, from other <laughs> cultures and, and religions. But, you know, as far as a way shower in terms of how to treat people with dignity and respect, pretty cool. But I had to get beyond all the, all the cultural bullshit, you right. know, to be able to find that message again. Yeah, absolutely. It's so interesting to me. Um, and I am, absolutely filled with shame to admit this. And yet I think it's an important part of the healing process as well. The heartbreaking words, well, that's just God's judgment Mm. came out of my mouth too. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, definitely parroting back what I was told. And Mm -hmm. I remember, and I I said the same thing. And again, this is heartbreaking to me to even admit, but again, I was a part of the problem. I was a part of the machine for so long Mm -hmm. that it's important for me to have the integrity to stand and say, I said these things. I did these things. I thought I was doing right. But if I had really taken the time, I felt the check in my spirit, you know, which is a very Christian way of saying I felt a spiritual influence giving me a physical response that says, check this. There's Mm -hmm. something here that does not line up with what you really know to be true. And I followed the, you know, expected response anyway. But I remember those feelings. I remember saying the things. And then I remember thinking, that feels terrible. Like I just lost all of the wind in my body. And I I feel like someone has physically punched my stomach. Um, But I said the same thing for Katrina. Mm-hmm. And and I remember, again, I remember where I was standing. I remember who I was with. And then I remember, I can't believe I just said that. And then where do you go from there? Because yeah. those conversations are not ones that can typically easily be navigated in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also had an uncle who died of AIDS uh, in the 90s. Mm-hmm. I was on the mission field. When mm-hmm. it happened and it, we weren't close. Um, my parents actually intentionally prevented us from from being close. Um, and our, our mutual friend will re- really appreciate this. He gave me a cassette tape of the new kids on the block uh, for Christmas. <laughs> yes. and, uh, and I wasn't allowed to keep the cassette. Because oh. it was secular music, and and I don't know if it was also because it was a boys' band, and mm-hmm. my parents were concerned about the influence. And granted, I mean they've grown you know considerably from this time, but sure. this is what happened to me for real. Yeah. you know, at the age of ten, eleven, twelve, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just it's not any one thing, yeah. or at least not usually. Sometimes it is the one big thing, but more often than not, those of us that are in this space to be able to you know, really unpack layer by layer. Mm -hmm. It's a series of things. It's several layers deep. So it wasn't just the fact that I was told, and not just by my parents, by the church, by school, by everybody, Mm -hmm. that the AIDS epidemic was God's punishment. 
for homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Then on top of that, well, it's a boys band, so therefore they must be living a homosexual life. And it was given to you by your gay uncle. So therefore, you know, it, <laughs> and it's one thing after another after another mm-hmm. until you take the time to step away from it all. And, you know, it's almost like detangling this big, massive knot of yarn. Yeah. You can finally start to see hey, wait a minute, I think maybe somebody got one of these assumptions wrong along the Mm -hmm. way, and that led to the next wrong assumption, and it just kept going from there. Yeah, yeah. And and coming back, though, and having the opportunity to open open your own eyes, you know, open your own mind and your own heart and be able to put that in a different perspective. Mm -hmm. Like with my uncle, he also gave me my first cassette tape. It was Queen, by the way. And uh, the Sugar Hill Gang on vinyl, which, you know, I just thought that was fantastic. But since he's passed, it's interesting if someone is going to show up in my meditations with a message that is so clearly a love-based, positive opportunity, kind of very deeply personal message, it's him. Hmm. And my dad at the time was very, um, he was not a big fan of my uncle precisely because he was gay and all the, you know, all of the horrible names that you can call someone. I mean, they were all there. But what's interesting is that my uncle actually came through in a meditation and said that, and I was asking him, you know, I've always been of the mind we choose our parents and I could not figure out why the hell did I choose my dad? Why did I do that to myself? You know, what, what is up with that? And I asked him in meditation one day and he said, you know, your dad is here to actually help you learn one of your biggest lessons. And of course I'm like, what lesson is that? And he wouldn't tell me. And just within the past year, I figured it out. And it has to do with the lesson of unconditional love, Mm. of being able to put aside the resentments and the judgments and the history and the past and all of the things that separate us and to actually be able to, to strive toward that place of unconditional love, especially with those with whom it's the hardest. Mm. And so that's, that's been part of my journey the past year. <laughs> and I'm grateful, that. grateful for it. But I was so glad that here my, you know, dead gay uncle that people had demonized forever, you know, came to me in a meditation after his death and, and helped me see mm-hmm. the value of what I think is the whole message. The whole idea. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it took, so I think spirit reaches us where we are. And that's why the whole idea of there's only one path to God has never resonated with me. You know, even since I was a child, if there are nearly 8 billion people on the planet, then there might just be 8 billion paths to God. And it's just a matter of finding the entry point and the door that we have the key to that unlocks for us that next, you know, that next connection, that deeper relationship, the the next level of awareness or opportunities. And it's going to be different for everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's why when my mom said, you know, I I'm regret not raising you in a church, I fear that had I had I been raised, you know, church every Wednesday and Sunday my entire life, I fear that I may have never found the key that really unlocked the door for me. Um, because I wouldn't have been looking for it. And if I saw it, I may have put it in an unsavory box and decided <laughs> it was the stuff that sin is made of. That sounds very familiar. Yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense to me. That makes a lot of sense to me. Living in a, in a community where the largest church in town 
Um, women are not allowed to lead prayer because that's that's the man's job. Um, Wait, my daughter's. This, we're talking about right now. Right now, this is in my town right now. 2018. It's still women are not allowed to lead the prayer. Correct. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Correct. And there's more people that go to that church than any other church in in the town in which I live. My daughter's friends. I mean, she's you know she's not of driving age yet. So Wednesday night church is the big social thing that kids mm-hmm. do. And so she will go with her friends to Wednesday night church. But we always process it afterwards because mm-hmm. it's important to me not to not to push my spiritual beliefs on her, but I also don't want other people pushing their spiritual beliefs on her either. Absolutely. And so, you know, one day I I go to pick her up and she was like, okay, I'm not coming back to this church. I was like, oh, tell me what's going on. She was like, well, there was a new preacher and he was talking about college and how important it is, you know, for, for boys to consider going to college. And, and then he said, and you know, some of you girls, you may think you want to go to college, but you need to remember that your real responsibility is to get married and have babies. So don't let college get in the way. And I, I, I'm about having a heart attack in the uh, car yeah. hearing this, trying not to be, you know, overly judgmental, but, and I didn't have to because she recognized for herself right. that that was a message that did not resonate for her at all. Okay, so, hold on, because I'm still yeah. like, are you kidding me? No. Um, so no, we're saying this kidding. was relatively recently. Yeah, last year. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and, and this is in addition to the, she went to church camp with, with another friend. You know, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to leave the doors of opportunity to learn and mm-hmm. socialize and to make her, her own judgments open. But she goes to church camp and she saw that one of the workshops was this thing called Project Love. And we love the word love. We have love in like every single room <laughs> in our house. <clears throat> and um, so she goes to Project Love. And it was this entire workshop about the evils of pornography. But ultimately, with a bunch of dudes telling all the girls in the room how they need to make sure not to wear spaghetti straps or short skirts or shorts or things like that because, you know, well, they're just bringing problems on themselves if they do. And of totally, they are. you know, shaming the girls and body image problems and what they wear, no responsibility whatsoever placed on the boys for appropriate behavior. She told me this, and this is the one time I really thought I was going to lose my mind. Oh my <laughs> and gosh. I'm going off the, off the rails. And she's like, oh, mom, just, you just don't even need to get worked up. I saw right through it. I'm okay. You know, but that's, also why I she's think the one person that saw through it yeah. who else was in the room that didn't see through it and how long mm-hmm. is that story going to be per- perpetuated because yeah. I feel like I mean that's the kind of stuff that gets me riled up awfully fast and I have mm-hmm. to say I'm currently uh, deep 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 into an addiction of man in the high castle and as I'm watching this as you're talking about the idea of, you know, but really girls, your main objective is to get married and have babies. I'm like, mm-hmm. hmm, that sounds an awful lot alike. Oh, wow. An awful lot alike the propaganda from the Nazi Reich that mothering mm-hmm. was held in such high esteem so that you could, you know, literally propagate the nation. And yeah, tell me how that has any place in in the church teaching, but nevertheless, and the right. purity culture thing, I mean, mm. yeah. Right. yeah, so many <laughs> different things to talk about yeah. on that one. 
Right. So she saw and, through it. That's huge. That's right. Huge. And and I do think that that's important. And and having the conversations, I don't want to limit her, but at the same time, it's important to me that she that she think for herself. And so, you know, even in those situations, I'm not going to share my, well, sometimes I do share my opinion, but only after she's had the opportunity to kind of express and process out loud what her thoughts and feelings were about all of it. She's gotten into arguments with Sunday school teachers, you know, when she goes to, to churches with her dad and, and, and his girlfriends, um, you know, and she'll just stand up and say, that's not what it says in the Bible in my heart. I don't know where you're getting that <laughs> You know, when they're talking sin and division and, you know, just focusing so much on that. So it's been, it's been an interesting journey. And, and through all of this, you know, coming back to Oklahoma, my, my spiritual side has kind of been opening up, not kind of, it opened up while I was still in, in DC and I came back to Oklahoma and quickly put that genie back in the bottle because mm. wow, did it not feel safe to own the fact that I have these different experiences, that I have these different connections and pathways to the divine that I believe we all have access to, but that don't fit neatly in the box of what traditional church in this area teaches, mm -hmm. because man, that gives people a lot of power to have that connection. And, you know, the church has been set up to limit power to a few. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, that's one of my, my biggest concerns is, is actually taking away power from people when we do have this straight line connection, if we're just interested and willing to, to open and follow it. And so, I mean, it's just been recently that I've been kind of coming out of my own spiritual closet and mm -hmm. being willing to, to talk a bit more openly about, you know, some of the things that, that I work with, um, that I think are just as relevant. They're just not the kinds of things that are taught from a pulpit somewhere right. traditionally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I love that idea of, you know, really looking at the power and, mm -hmm. you know, we talk about, you know, find the money trail. I yeah. feel like, well, huh, there's plenty of money trails that you could track in churches as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that another piece that really needs to be evaluated is the power trail. Even right. thinking back about the Project Love session at the church camp, even in that scenario with the idea of promoting the purity culture, it's still a power play. Absolutely. And it's the idea of saying, women, you have a power over men that you need to be responsible for their behavior. And therefore, we're actually going to take away that power by putting these restraints on you. And the interesting thing is in that, in that idea, the men are kind of, you know, they've actually been somewhat I, I don't want to say uh, stunted, but in a sense, because they're not mm -hmm. being held responsible for their own behavior as well. So right. you've got two different things that happen as a result of that. One is you have a rape culture, like just yes. straight, simple. You are setting up an environment in which rape is not only acceptable, but it happens more often than anybody thinks outside of the church. If you've has, yep. had any time in it, we all look at each other and we're like, yeah, uh, hashtag me too, because we all had those experiences in the church. So, right. you know, that's the first part. But then the second part, I think, is that, you know, we talk about the the divine masculine and the divine feminine and the idea that both of these pieces are within each of us. 
to me, it feels like there's another component here that harms our men, not just in the sense of not being responsible for their actions, but we are disassociating ourselves, both men and women, we're disassociating all of the things that God created us to be. So that for me sets off a whole different trajectory for an entire generation. And for some reason, nobody paid attention to it when it happened to me and to you when we were all 12 and 13. Now we're going to keep going again, 40 years later, seriously. Right. Right. And I, you know, so much of what you you said, <clears throat> all of it, so identify with, and and the idea that either we totally disempower men by saying you're not even capable of being responsible for your own actions. Uh, you know, women, you're. But then the whole idea of the of the toxic masculinity that that exists in in some cultures, you know, more than more than in others, um, and how the opposite of that within men is so quick to be judged as mm. effeminate or, you know, mm-hmm. a, a, a pejorative label right, slapped right. on it. And so it, I think that there's such a need for the recognition and the honoring of both the divine feminine and the, and the divine masculine. But for so many people, you say that out loud and they're like, there's nothing feminine in me. <laughs> I mean, right. just the, the whole because idea they that automatically that is- see it as a negative. Yeah. And, yeah. and that in and of itself, I think, is such a spinoff of, again, this patriarchal setup. Right. You know, yeah. we, it's all been designed, and this sounds so conspiracy theory, and yet I believe <laughs> it, that, you know, it's all been designed to not only disassociate ourselves internally, but also mm-hmm. then to separate the balance and, again, keep power in a small little group of people. And it might not be that people are consciously choosing that now, but they're continuing the narrative of somebody that did decide that consciously at some point in time. So I feel like, and this, you know, I'm an eternal optimist, so maybe I'm (laughs) just slightly (laughs) idealizing this whole idea, but I feel like there's so much that's happening within society now between Mm -hmm. The conversations that are happening, the, uh, you know, complete uh, dissatisfaction with the political system, you know, again, talking about power and money and all Mm -hmm. the rest of it. I feel like there's enough that's happening now that conversations can actually be heard now at this point, more so than they've been able to in generations past. So I'm hopeful. I feel Mm -hmm. like maybe by talking about these things and again, calling them what they are and helping people connect the dots because Mm -hmm. the purity culture taught this, here's how it was perceived internally. Here's what happened to our body image. Here's what happened Mm -hmm. to the rape culture. Here's what happened to devaluing men and their ability to control themselves or be responsible for themselves. That all then spun out into this. Now we have a chance to look back and say, Hey, by the way, we can choose differently. It doesn't have to be like this. We don't have to perpetuate the cycle, but that requires some pretty hard conversations. And Allah, here we are. (laughs) Yeah. And and the fact that the conversations are happening, I think is so important. Um, You know, one thing I do, I I teach political science, which teaching political science in Oklahoma is also a fascinating. Oh, I can only imagine. And, um, but I teach both on, you know, campus, but also inside uh, both a men's and a women's prison. And it's so interesting to see where conversations are, mm. especially among those in prison who recognize that, um, that, that their past conversations did not serve them mm. and 
who have a genuine willingness and recognition that they really need a, a new way of thinking to put to give to give credence and, and optimism to the second chance they may have in life. And it's been fascinating to me to watch how that plays out and to mm. watch a willingness to have to shift the narrative um, it, it, and to watch the diversity of spiritual practice within a prison, which you, you don't see in culture here in Oklahoma. Right. I, I mm -hmm. don't see it. But inside the prison, there's an active, you know, Celtic spirituality group, Native American spirituality. I, I mean, there's just, there's, there are active groups because they're they're recognizing the value, and I think holding on to that hope and connection, um, but as part of that, are willing to also look at other things in society differently as well. Many of my mm -hmm. students, you know, sure there's the drug charges, but an awful lot of them are in on sexual assault, rape type mm -hmm. charges, and um, being able to have the conversations where they're where they recognize what power meant or, mm. or didn't mean and, and, but a willingness to shift that. So yeah. even in, even in environments where, man, it's hard, right. Um, I have some hope as well. Mm. I have hope as well. Yeah. I am filled with so much gratitude <laughs> for this conversation, for you sharing, you know, really all of the ins and outs of what this has, what this journey has been like for you. And also for this idea of there are more of us than we think sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that's incredibly exciting and encouraging because, you know, again, our, our mutual friend, um, it took her a couple of months to convince me that this was possible to be mm -hmm. able to stand in the place of opening a different vocabulary, opening a different conversation, and still honoring the pieces that are right and good and true and holy from this past life, you know, type mm -hmm. of thing. I don't mean past life as in past lives. I mean my right. past life uh, sure. or the past of my life. Boy, that got tricky, <laughs> uh, but you get the idea. I'm you following. Know? Yeah. <laughs> and I, it's just, it's so interesting to me. And I think the ability to be able to say, I don't know, you know, and I don't have to have the answer for everything. Like, I don't, I don't know if I believe in past lives yet. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure. And that's okay. I don't have to have an answer on it. And I right. think that even that, to be able to hold enough space to say, I don't know what I know. I know what I believe. And there are two different things and that's okay. And right. to be able to have the space between belief and knowledge that's really what we call faith. <laughs> that's really the whole idea. Right. And how often in the church environment have we been expected to have no space between the two? That, right. you know, we are telling you this, therefore you know it, and therefore your belief needs to match the knowledge. Right. And maybe, maybe not. Maybe maybe that's where the deeper questions get to be asked. But I'm rambling. All of that to say... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much for this conversation and for the work that you're doing, not only with your students, but in your community. And I so appreciate the uh, the slightly rebellious spirit that, <laughs> you know, really gets to to cause the questions to be asked. I think that that's an incredibly beautiful gift that you're giving us. So thank you for that. 
Thank you. And I have so enjoyed our conversation as well, as always. I know. I was just like, oh, there's so many different places we could go. (laughs) (laughs) And I am so enjoying your podcast, just so you know. Thank you for adding this voice to the conversation and and giving people an opportunity to realize that their path is their path and that's perfect. Mm. Perfect. Wherever they are, whatever path it is, you know, whether it's a path of recovering and healing or, uh, you know, or a path of opening a bunch of different doors just to see what resonates and what feels, what feels right on the path to, you know, deeper relationship that that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you for that. You're gonna make me cry. So before I do that, um, (laughs) we're gonna wrap up and say thank you. Um, For those of you guys who are listening, if you have been around the community for a little while already, you know what I'm going to ask you. And it's pretty simple. It's just to share the conversation, whether it's literally sharing this episode with someone that you think would really benefit from it and be able to engage in conversation with them. Or it's sharing your own story and being able to find yourself in these layers of conversation. That's really what this is all about. So we just ask that you continue to do that. And of course, if you have the time and energy to rate and review us on iTunes and all the rest at the same time, that helps us spread the message even further faster. So Lisa, thank you so much for your time. Uh, For everybody who's listening, thank you so much for being a part of this. And we will just keep on going. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. 